0: hi welcome to this episode of questionable history by two snarky sisters i'm amy i'm beth this is a podcast about books we like to read historical romances from all different eras we dive deep to discover what works and what's questionable as a reminder we talk about all of the plot points of a book so if you don't like spoilers pause now and come back when you're ready we read books so you don't have to let's get started going to talk about the book Earth Song. It is book three in the Medieval Song series by Catherine Coulter, and it was published in September of 1990. I'm going to read a brief synopsis description from Goodreads. It says, Philippa de Beauchamp, de Beauchamp? I don't know how to speak French. Philippa, as impulsive as she is beautiful, flees her father's castle when she hears she is to be wed to the repellent Baron de Bridgeport. But her daring escape in a wool wagon quickly becomes a misadventure, and she winds up in the arms of Dienwalk de Fortenberry. Yeah, that's his real name. <clears throat> a rogue as smooth and bold as Aquitaine wine. Soon Philippa finds herself a prisoner at Dienwald's castle, where there are mysteries to be solved, villains to be bested, and a stubborn man's heart to be won. You'll also meet old friends, Graylem and Cassia de Morton from Firesong, which was book two in the series, as well as the King of England, who is closer to Philippa than she could ever imagine. Spoilers! Journey back to the 13th century Cornwall and let me entertain you. So our book will be set in April 1275 in Cornwall, England. And I forgot to insert this before, um, but the rating on Goodreads is 3.93 out of 5 stars. And that was from over approximately 2,500 reviewers. Let's begin. Let's begin. So this is actually uh, one of my favorite books. So it was my pick, and I forced my sister (laughs) to read a medieval book, which are not her favorite settings, but she was a trooper. Um, and did it for me. So, to kick us off, um, I kind of wanted to talk about our in, um, impressions of the characters, like what stood out. I find both uh, the hero and the heroine um, were pretty strong characters, but this is actually a book where I love the heroine. Like, I just really liked her. I thought she was a strong woman, um, girl. I mean, I guess she's only, <laughs> she's not even 18, right? How does that work in medieval times? Like, she was 17 in the book. And so almost 18, (laughs) almost 18. Do you know off the top of your head, what would have been the average marrying age for most women around that time? I don't. Um, so that might actually be something fun to look up, but I will say, I think even in the book, it references that she would have been, most women her age would have been married with a, with a babe suckling at the breast at this point. And so, um, I thought at least by like fourteen, fifteen, they were being wed. Um, but like even royalty, some of them were as young as 12 or 13, although I don't think they consummated the wedding until they were um, older because that just feels weird. Yeah, it's an interesting one for the medieval stories. And I think part of what makes it a little bit more difficult for me sometimes to immerse myself in the story, is not knowing as much of the norms that would have existed at the time. And I've read so many that are Regency, Georgian, um, and a few Victorian uh, novels, so I would say that I'm more familiar with that. And they tend to be a slightly older, or at least artificially made older, a little bit more upgraded for a contemporary audience so that we, in our modern thinking, don't find it unusual or kind of icky to imagine a girl getting married when she's 15, 16, 17. So that was a little bit different for me in this book to be like, okay, this is probably the norm, but it still (laughs) feels a smidge weird when I'm reading it. Yeah. So again, uh full disclosure, my searches are Google. So a quick Google search of literally how old were brides in medieval times, um, says that in Middle Ages, which I don't know if this can be considered Middle Ages, Um, Children were married at a young age, girls were as young as 12, and boys as young as 17. And that kind of fits with a lot of the other stories I've read where they are typically... um, Usually the authors, I think, make them 17, 18, even 19, like old maid of the times, to make it a little bit more... Palatable. Palatable. For those of us where we're freaking out, especially if we have kids those age, and we can't imagine them being responsible enough to get married. The other thing I found really striking, just my last thought on the marriage ages, is the hero, Dienwald, he was like 26, which for a lot of Regency romances is young. Usually those heroes are over 30. Yeah. So that was kind of refreshing. He was younger, but he also had a nine-year-old son. So I'm like, okay, then this dude got married himself, probably at 16, 17. So the first time. So that was really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. He's a widower with a young son. Yeah. Um, so speaking of cast of characters and his young son, I actually really liked Edmund. I thought he was a cute little addition to the story. I like how, and again, if you think about the ages, um, he picks on the heroine a lot, but if you think about it, they're really only, that's like a young, younger brother to her. Yeah. And so, um, he calls her Maple cause she's tall and, you know, she calls him Slug because he's dirty, you know? And so I, I found that cute because she wasn't trying to ingratiate herself with this young kid. She was kind of giving back as good as she got, um, but in a in a loving way in the sense that, you know, she ends up wanting him to bathe, and he's the first person she makes a tunic for because she, you know, does care about him, but I thought it was cute, their little banter back and forth. Yeah, it was kind of refreshing to have a precocious young character that wasn't young like four or five or six he was able to have his own mind his own opinions he was able to think critically but also still be scared sometimes it it was a nice diverse I think broadened character for him so yeah and I think she wrote the character accurate for a nine-year-old because he was a little bit of a snot but not obnoxiously so in the sense that we've all you might not have had a younger brother But maybe you've had a younger son around that age Or a nephew around that age And you know that nine is a very know-it-all age Of like, you know Especially when someone's coming in And it was just you and your dad And it was your yeah. relationship And now all of a sudden someone else is coming in And you want to be like, no, you know Don't pay attention to her, pay attention to me Yeah, it was mm-hmm. real well written And I enjoyed that To comment on the main two Philippa, who I'm pretty sure I called Philippa so my, my pronunciation of names will change, will very wildly. Philippa was a good character. I did like her. I liked that she knew her own mind. I liked that she was willing to take action, but then also acknowledged she was very impetuous. Yeah. She kept saying things like she'd jump in feet first, think with her feet type of thing instead of thinking with her brain. So that was fun and refreshing. She wasn't cowering. She wasn't stupid. She was a very learned person for the time, too. They make a plot point of that, that she's been taught to read and cipher. So she can read and write, do math which was unusual um, for some women at the time. The other thing I wanted to say about Dienwald, though, is I very much liked him in the beginning. I thought that he was reasonable, considering that this woman accidentally shows up in this uh, wagon of wool that he stole. Um, Basically, I found it very interesting that he was willing to just be like, I don't know what's going on here. Let me just think for a minute instead of really rapid, rash sort of actions and stuff. I really appreciated that, and I thought it was refreshing to start that way from the beginning. However, (laughs) at the end of the book, there's a a minute that really kind of made me think, is this man insane? Because bipolar. Or something, right? Like, all of a sudden... He went from being reasonable, I'm gonna think it through before I take action, to being calling her like perfidious wench. But not in the way he had throughout the book, right. where he might tease Loving her me. a little bit and call her a wench to be like, you know, almost a term of endearment yeah. eventually. And this one somehow he goes from realizing that this woman is brave and strong and, and good and all of these types of things, protecting his son, et cetera, et cetera. All of a sudden, at the flip of a switch, he suddenly doesn't trust her, and I found that very bizarre. It was jarring yeah. to me. It's almost like, and it's funny you said pronouncing the names because I, in my head, his name was Dinewald. Oh. So I don't. We don't. Full disclosure: neither of us really knows how it's pronounced. But it's interesting how a character can have a name and different people pronounce it differently. Maybe we'll put up a poll. Yeah. With this, and you can vote whether you think it's Dienwald or Dienwald, or you can somehow record your own pronunciation option. Exactly. That scene, I think you're talking about the very end where he's finally coming home and he sees her leaving and he makes the assumption that she's leaving him and taking all his men and taking his son, right? So out of character for this woman that has basically self-sacrificed and given everything. However, I found it very honest to how, as humans, we can react irrationally without thinking. And so... I do feel like, wow, this was insane how he overreacted. But I also loved, again, how strong it showed her in the sense that at first she's like, oh, okay, that's it. You know, we're it's done. And then she's like, hell no. And like turns around and basically tackles him to be like, you are facing this. You're not running away. It's like when I have an argument with my husband and my first reaction is, let's get a divorce because I'm just so tired of this. <laughs> that to me was... Um, Deinwald's reaction of being I don't know why it must have just been seen or leave and the fear that that caused that he just overreacted because he had he kind of overreacted the entire book like every time he'd he'd be thinking one thing and then say a completely different thing that came out of his mouth and so it wasn't quite as jarring to me because I actually thought that she kind of set up that this was a man that overreacted all the time like he just like, she jumps in with her feet, and he speaks before thinking. Like, he just opens his mouth, and verbal diarrhea comes out. That's interesting. I do find it a challenge to buy... To some degree, I think, because at the end of the book there, we've already been through much, through so much with these characters. Yeah. We had already had a scene where... Philippa and Edmund were kidnapped and they had to rescue themselves and they came back and he had a minute during that whole sequence of events of kidnapping of wondering if she had conspired with the kidnapper, right? right? So they'd already kind of overcome that obstacle and he seemed to trust her and believe her and it didn't make any sense for him to then doubt her again. Yeah. But then when he finds out the big reveal that they've gotten married and he realizes that Philippa is someone special. She's related to the King, the King's illegitimate daughter. And that comes with all this responsibility for him now to be so closely related to the Monarch. He goes off to his friends to kind of like be angry and vent it. And that seemed totally in character for him to be like, I got to get out of here. I got to think about some things. But then he comes to a realization of like, I love her. I want this. I'm going to go home. And the minute he sees her, The minute he sees her riding towards him with his son and his men, suddenly he's all the way back to she's betraying him. It just seems so jarring. I feel like it was almost like the author had like, I have three great ideas. I'm going to use all of them. And I'm like, I just think you could have picked one and let the challenge either be the kidnapping and then he realized and he was firm or the kidnapping. He never doubted her. And then he realized and and was firm. And then the doubt only came with the revelation of the whole like royal blood thing. It felt like too much, too many like tense back and forth things. And I personally hate that in a novel. Yeah. So that might've just worn on me. Well, I will say that I 100% believe that he does not deserve her (laughs) because I would have left his ass probably when he doubted me about being kidnapped or even before when he was just very insulting, stripping me naked in front of like his people. Um, and so I, I see how he can just be a weak man who's insecure and he is lucky that he has such a strong woman that loves him and is willing to fight for him when he's basically thrown her away. Like, he basically is like, I'm done with you. I don't want to see you again. And he's just lucky that she's a strong enough woman to be like, nope, I don't care. We're in love. We're going to get through this kind of thing. But I agree. It was a little much. Like, I totally, she even gives a good speech as to why he had such a bad reaction finding out he was going to be the son-in-law of the king Uh, but the other one was just a little bit overkill like you were just literally half a second ago saying how much you loved her and she was everything to you and you couldn't wait to get home to her (laughs) i thought his reaction was going to be like don't leave me and finally you know show some humility um but no i guess the author decided to go a different way yeah or why couldn't he have just had a moment of like what goes on here? Do you know what I mean? I'm yeah. just like, what's happening? Where are you guys going? He didn't even let her speak. I am with you in that I would have left him as well. <laughs> I would have said, I'm out. <laughs> Too much drama. Philippa has more patience than we do. Well, and again, she was barely, or not even 18 yet. And we're, you know, I'm 40. So it comes, I probably would have fought harder for a relationship perhaps when I was 18 as I would now. Oh my gosh. That is so true because I put up with a lot of crap from like more early, early, early relationships, relationships. Whereas now I'd be like, no, no, thank you. No. I'll just be single. Yeah. It's fine. But then maybe the medieval culture plays into that a little bit as well. Cause as in most of these romances, there's a lot of talk about the maidenhead and virginity and all of this sort of stuff. And so, although when they finally consummated their relationship, it was from a place of love and stuff. I still think there is some, there must have been some cultural sense of belonging. And like, I am firmly committed and bonded with this man, et cetera, et cetera. And that probably did help her feel that sense of fighting. Because she felt like Saint Earth, which was the name of his... um, What's the word for uh, that? Community clan. It's not clan because they're not... Scotland. Is that just a Scotland I thing think or so. kind of clan? She felt like St. Earth was her home. She yeah. had only been there a few weeks, but because she had found her purpose and her place, I can see that aspect of fighting for her place because she probably knew him theoretically better than we do. And so she did love him. Yeah. And I, I do think that again, he's a very complex character in the sense he felt very real to me because he was selfish he, but then he could also be just and fair at times. And so maybe, I don't know if the author was going for this. Maybe he did have some like bipolarism going on in him, but I felt at least he was consistent in the sense that a lot of when, where his rages would come from would be it's selfish and insecurity and fear because ultimately it came down to, he also gave everything to his people as St. Earth. And so I think seeing, feeling even though it was irrational that they were all abandoning him for this person they'd only known for like two to three weeks. I think that might've had something to do with it too. Like selfishly be like, don't love her more than me. I'm your leader kind of thing. And um, there might've been some misogyny in there too of like, you know, she's just the female. I'm the male. Cause he was very misogynistic. There is a fair point in there. I do remember him talking at one point of wondering why his, his servants, his, his people so easily seemed to transition yeah to wanting to be her. I do want to bring up one thought here about clothing. You talked about stripping her naked or whatever. So a couple of questions, honestly. The first one was there's a scene where they have to... There's a scene where they're outside and she ends up falling in the mud or something when she's trying to wrestle Edmund, making him bathe or something, right? And they talk about this dress she's wearing from being in this black mud is just ruined. Yet throughout the book, they talk about how everyone is wearing threadbare clothing, they don't have enough cloth, and, and everything's kind of been washed so many times it turns into this muddy gray color. And it drove me insane, thinking, because she literally had to be wrapped in a blanket after this because she had no clothing. And it just made me chuckle to think, then cut up your damn blanket and make it a a tunic of some form or then wash it and even though it's this ugly color now then wear it like the fabric didn't disintegrate in the mud so it seemed like an artificial plot thing and it feels like fabric would still be so valuable in medieval times that they wouldn't just burn it because it rolled in the mud and so I'm curious what you think about that the only thing I thought of is if it was like if uh, the type of mud, like if it was like so sticky, like boggy mud, like would it have made it? No one would have wanted to. Put, I I don't know. I honestly didn't stand out to me, but that's a good point. I agree. I mean she, that was her last outfit. She had nothing to wear.
1: So yeah. I
0: feel like that was maybe just a plot ploy so that then the the other because remember his friends Cassia and. Um, had come to visit and so then she has an excuse to be like oh let me send you clothes so that then she has tons of clothes I'm not sure okay but let me just say this she shows up in some weird old clothes but she'd had to crawl through her dad's moat to escape initially so okay gross like they talk like there might be human excrement and stuff in there okay those are burned her next dress she has to murder someone and to save her life and those are covered with blood okay you don't want to wear that every day I get it (laughs) But the mud that she rolled around in was created because she was rinsing off Edmund
1: by the well
0: or whatever. But did you uh, forget the part after that she starts... uh, Her and the Dinewald start uh, fighting in the mud. But it's still the mud from bathing Edmund. So she wouldn't Uh... bathe Edmund in the pigsty. She wouldn't bathe Edmund next to the manure pile. And so that's where I'm a little bit confused of like, come on, guys. It's just mud. Get a basin of water. Let it soak for a minute. Like... (laughs) Maybe it's my mother's heart over here that's like, those clothes are still good. But anyway, it was a bizarre, a bizarre one for me. That. But no, you're right. They were so precious to her. It does seem odd. Um, unless they got ripped. In the, but why wouldn't they all? just say that? They just kept referencing the mud. Like somehow the mud was so significant. We can't overcome all the right. mud. Yeah. that. I'll move on. I'll let that it is, go. But... That is odd. No, I haven't said that to me, but I agree. That is odd. Um, One thing I really liked about this heroine is that she saved herself. You referenced it. Saved herself from being murdered. Saved herself and Edmund when they were kidnapped. Like, this is a resilient and resourceful girl. And I kind of like, I like because I am also an impetuous person. I like the two-sided of it. That sometimes it gets you into trouble because you jump with your feet and you don't think. But also, it makes you willing to say, I have this problem. I need a solution. I can't rely on anyone else. So I need to figure out how to get myself out of this bad situation or make a bad situation better, which is basically what she does the whole book because she's held prisoner. And she's like, okay, I'm going to make this the best situation I can then. Uh, I, I, It was refreshing for a heroine not to be just waiting in the corner to be saved uh, by, the, by the hero. She was, you know, no, I'm going to do this. I can figure this out. Um, especially when she saved herself from being killed with the scythe, how do you scythe. say it? scythe. I was just like, she's so badass, I love it. <laughs> because she's like, I'm taking matters into my own hands. So. Yeah, the word refreshing was exactly the word that came to my mind too. I liked the idea that she was willing to do what she had to do, get herself out of a tight spot. And especially in the kidnap sequence, she talked about being conscious of not thinking with her feet and trying to right. have a, a plan and not get into worse trouble and play it out as best she could. And that was kind of fun. It was kind of like some internal character development because she got herself into the mess of being with Dean Wald in the whole first place because she had jumped with her feet. Yeah. And then when she was kidnapped, she had to kind of reverse that on herself and really think cautiously and try to be careful because she was also taking care of Edmund. So she also had to make sure right. he was safe. It was, it was fun. I was glad that it wasn't one of those damsel in distress moments where we just had to listen to the heroine dither and worry, and then the charging knight comes in and saves her. It was at least a sense of um, her having that power. But what I would have kind of liked, too, that I do like in some books is when we have a working together where their two plans intermingle and then they're able to solve a problem together. And I feel like we were kind of deprived of that on the whole. We never got to see them come together enough to start solving problems together and recognizing each other's strengths. You know, and I just had an epiphany when you were talking about, um, because you said it shows her maturity. And I'm like, you're right. In this book, the heroine matures. She becomes a better woman, a better person. The hero doesn't. He kind of stays the same in the same bad habits. And so... You don't, they don't grow together. She grows and he's lucky for it because now he has this help me that is amazing for him and his life. But you start to think, what are you giving to this relationship, dude? Like you, cause you're giving her money and your cock, <laughs> like that's basically your contribution and we don't see that growth in him. So I think you're right. If that kind any- of is a little bit, it made me at the end cause he didn't really grow. Yeah, anything. I wouldn't say he fully regressed. He was either static or there was a minor regression. To me, the way it ended with what I brought up before with that whole last insult climax scene, I really just felt like we were cheated because I felt in the beginning he had that potential to be a little bit more reasonable and balanced and not jump too deep into anything. And then it was like, it was almost like the narrative became, I'm recognizing these feelings. I'm so, oh, I'm going to talk deep to pretend I'm being wild. I'm recognizing these feelings. I'm so in love. I can't control my emotions anymore. Like, everything is just going crazy. Yeah. And that seems so bizarre. But fundamentally, I did like his character overall. He wasn't a total jerk. He wasn't completely clueless. He had a minute or two of potential mental illness or something that seemed to influence his decisions. Yeah. So in contrast to the perfidious wench, what came at the end of the book, I want to point out. That earlier in the book, they have kind of a, what I thought was a beautiful moment, where Dean Wald is talking to Philippa about Deep Spring and this concept of like a renewal oh, and a right when he's a, drunk, yeah, a change of a change of seasons and how life has a cyclic pattern. It's beautiful and it's wonderful, and he's talking about this because the way I read it he's starting to reflect on how she makes him feel and some of the beautiful things of their relationship. And I was like, oh yeah, this guy, is so sweet and understanding. Like he gets it. And that's what made it so jarring later. At the very end. At the very end where suddenly, perfidious one, you're stealing my son. And I'm like, where is this coming from? She's literally saved your ass so many times. Yeah. And then she's cared for your son. She's made things better. She found someone that was robbing you. Like all these things she's made better. And you're so bleeping worried about being made an earl because you married the king's illegitimate daughter, that you're going to throw that away. And so I am glad that you pointed out the idea that he was just probably freaked out, yeah. overwhelmed, and it just was too much for him to handle. But but you're right. We never got the good closure of him admitting that that's what it had been. I think that's no. what I, what was missing is because they end up reconciling, but because of her, because she fights for it. She convinces him he's being an idiot. And then they have sex and then it's all good. And, but there's never him saying, he said, he finally admits he loves her, but there's not. Yeah. Like you're saying that, that deep spring was the most romantic thing he said. And he said that drunk <laughs> early on in the book. Yeah. So there was, was, was a, there was funny. a little bit uh, of a cheat in that happily ever, happily ending after, I don't know what they call it. the Happily ever after ending. Maybe. Road That's Street. what I'm thinking of. Here was another thought I wanted to add to that. It was, the reason we never get that resolution is because for some inexplicable reason, I feel, the author decided to bring back the the other villain, which was Philippa's cousin that she was, so Philippa escaped her father's house because she overheard him telling a jilted suitor and her mother that he was going to marry her off with no dowry to some repulsive guy, Baron de Bridgeport, who is apparently old and like wretched and whatever. It it was kind of comical. Every time he got brought up, someone's reaction was, that guy? Almost like, ew, gross. No, not him. So she, she runs away by walking through the moat, hopping in a wool wagon, and she's going to go to market with the wool, but jump out and go to her cousin, Sir Walter's, a place, and he'll take care of her. Well, it turns out Sir Walter has nefarious intentions for her once he finds out about her relationship to the king, because he wants to be made an earl and get all that should rightfully be his, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, blah, blah, blah. So I think the reason it gets cut off at the end is that they just had this beautiful moment of like, let's reconnect. But all the men and Edmund are with him. So DMW literally says, Go home, everyone. Oh they stay. They stay in this field of violets or whatever. They make passionate love. It's beautiful. And then, I'm not but kidding. Not Sir Walter's basically like, <clears throat> are y'all done doing your thing in the bushes? Now I'm going to kill you and take what's mine. And and so then they have the final battle. They get rescued, whatever. Forgot about that. But because we sort of had that, we didn't actually, though, really, really get it. You know? it was yeah. It was kind of frustrating. It kind of felt like you kept waiting for that nice, like... at the end of the book, to tell you that everything's okay. Because the epilogue doesn't even quite go there. The epilogue takes place in October of 1275, so it's six months later. They're married. They've gone to London finally. They've gotten all their orders and blah, blah, blah. And there's a a sweet little moment where Philippa says something about being with child. I'm like, oh, yay, right? Yeah. And then it's like credits or whatever, if this was a movie. It's just over. And so I just kind of felt like... We never really got to hear him express his feelings to her the same way I feel that we did get to hear her express her feelings for him. And so it ended up being a lopsided relationship for me, fundamentally. I will tell you, though, the one thing I loved about the epilogue is the reference to her going on the raids. (laughs) But her father doesn't know. Yeah, that was, that was awesome, I because Dienwald has this uh, reputation yeah. for being a scoundrel and raiding people's property, and so that was really cute, because yeah, they referenced disapproval, and he's like, well, your dad wouldn't have felt the same way <laughs> if he knew you'd <laughs> he knew come it. with me, and so, that's true. That was a little yeah. bit of their jovial working together. I just, I guess, wanted a chapter of it. Yes. I wanted more of that to let us really feel that connection. No, you're right. The ending before the epilogue should have been in the field, them having made love and admitting their love for each other. They wanted have closure with the Sir Walter de Grasse or whatever, because uh, that was his arch nemesis. And, you know, he's been battling him this whole time. And so I think it was important for closure for Dinewald to be able to kill him and like remove him as a threat in his life so that we could know they would be happy and Sir Walter wouldn't be there hanging over their heads. However, I agree. It was very jarring that it went you know, he's so abusive to her, they make up, and now he's got to fight in the rain and the mud. And then it was anticlimactic because it was over within two paragraphs. Two seconds. And he didn't even get to kill Sir Walter. His no. buddy Roland or somebody did. And here's what I would argue is kind of stupid, too. Yeah. They could have just told us that in exposition. Yes. They didn't have to kill Sir Walter. Yeah. They could have just referenced that now that they had proof of his perfidy because he had kidnapped... Right. Uh, Philippa and Edmund, Sir Sir Graylam, Grey- the friend. He was basically Sir Walter's boss. This is modern speak. I don't know exactly how it works in <laughs> medieval times, but basically, Sir Sir Graylam could have just easily captured Sir Walter, put him in prison and or or some way resolved that executed him, yeah. whatever, and said, Oh yeah, that's been resolved. It just seemed forceful to be yes. like, beautiful moment, JK, right. I was watching you in the bushes. Perf, you know? It <laughs> exactly. was kind of gross. It was creepy. I thought it would have been more powerful if he actually died non a script. Like she found out that the head wound, he never woke up and died in a sleep or something. Like I would have preferred it to it would just have been be a more poetic justice in a kind way. Kind of that he doesn't get any sort of a battle death. Minute, it's just like no, yeah. he was a he was a creep, he was weak, he was a coward. Yeah. And like and I a think murderer. he should <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think he shouldn't have had any sort of a battle death exactly. thing, but um so there were a couple plot things I stuck out to me that I okay. want to talk about. So I did it like plus and negative. So what do you want me to start with? The positive stuff I like from the plot or the negative stuff? I think we should alternate a positive and negative. So one thing I really liked, uh, I don't know if this is, sorry, this might be plot slash characters. Um, but I really liked the arguing and bantering between the hero and heroine. I didn't find it off-putting for the most part because they each gave as good as they got. I felt like it was equal. I never felt it was Besides the scene, we already talked about the inn where it seemed way too harsh and out of nowhere. For the most part, when he said wench, same as you, I took it, it became an endearment. Um, he did it to kind of poke at her because he thought it was fun as some guys are. They just think annoy. you know, it's tugging the girl's pigtails or whatever. But I like how she kind of gave back as good as she got. And so there was just some very witty liners where they would be talking either about the other one to someone else um, and I just thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, to, mostly the dialogue, I'm like, oh, let's just get through this. It's boring. Um, but that dialogue, I really enjoyed. Uh, everyone's. I thought it was fun how uh, they all kind of interacted together. I agree. And that's one of the reasons why I liked Dean Wald in the beginning was because it felt like even though she would be... Snarky might not be the right word, but she would she would come back with those rapid quips at him. He wasn't immediately like throw her in the dungeon, or you know what I mean. He yeah. was willing to be like, oh, she's got spirit, she's got fire, you know, she's yeah. she is powerful and willing to push back, and he seemed to respect it, yeah. even though it was frustrating. He respected it that right. she had a backbone. So yeah, I agreed. Um, so now, on the a negative, um, I thought it was a slow starter. Um, I skimmed a lot of it until they actually. She was actually at his castle. And the one thing is that uh, opening I found very gross with her almost being raped. And even though she's talking about it calmly... I'm thinking, this is not okay. Like, she keeps excusing what he's doing. Like, oh, he's drunk, or this. And I'm like, knee him in the groin. Knee him in the groin. And she's like, just I'll just, I'll push him away in a minute. And I'm sitting here thinking, this man is trying to rape you. Like, fight back. You're taller than him, almost. And so, uh, that was a little hard for me. I agree about the opening scene. I didn't find it slow, exactly. I just found it, like you were saying, kind of a oppressive or exhausting that it just kept going yeah it wasn't like oh he's drunk i can feel his swollen member on me oh no and then fight and it's over it was pages and pages of this going on and her on the on the one hand saying i understand what he's trying to do because i understand men and women which is an interesting contrast to many regency novels where they have ignorance about sexual relations so she understands what he's trying to do But much like you, I was like, girl, like push him off and run away and get your dad or whatever. And eventually it kind of gets to that point, but it it lasted too long. It It could have been a page of that and not 18 or however many it was. That's a good point. I think that's what bothered me about it is... It's like, he tried. She pushed him away slightly. He comes again. and But she she's almost too afraid. She's like, well, I don't want to offend him. He's for Bernice. And I'm like, knee him in the balls. Like, this <clears throat> is not acceptable. Just because he's drunk, just because he's enamored of you, does not give him the right to paw at you and try to rape you. In your bedroom, no less. In your bedroom. It wasn't even like in the hallway yes. right after dinner. It was like he snuck into her room, so, or yeah. no, he didn't sneak in. Right, she let him in, but she thought it was innocent because he... he was like, "I want to talk to you about Bernice." Exactly, who okay. is her sister, her stepsister, or not even half sister, not the even foster prop- sister, essentially, because right? they fostered her basically. So, moment. Philippa is the bastard daughter of the king of England and some other woman. And so she was pseudo adopted by her, her father, Sir Thomas and her mother, but really they were just under charge of the King. They had to take care of her until she became of age age and got married. And they had, they were instructed to educate her and teach her to read and write and, and math and all of those sorts of things. And so it was an unusual relationship and I could never figure out if Bernice was older or younger. I got the impression younger. Me too, oddly enough. But But they never by a lot. Yeah, they
1: never never really explained. It It
0: was kind of confusing. No, and I don't know that we ever got to hear Bernice say a word. Nope. How funny. She's referenced in her memories. So I love the irony in the storyline of uh, there's the steward. Oh, he's the villain. He's the big bad. Big bad. Nope. He dies pretty quickly when he was murdered and killed justly because he was an evil person. I was like. Oh, crap. Like, I thought we were going to have three or four chapters right. of her trying to figure out how to show uh, Wall that he was actually evil and all of this. Right. But instead, he was just gone. I'm like, yep. oh, what's the conflict now? It was really yeah. interesting. So, I know. So, then you're left. Well, okay, we still have, like, 300 pages of this book. Yeah. What's going to happen? So, the irony was beautiful that she spent almost the first 200 pages trying to escape to her cousin, Sir Walter, and then finally, when she doesn't want to leave, because she's fine, Sir Walter comes to save her. And and he does, because she doesn't want the others to get hurt. And now she has to pretend, oh, this is what I want. Because she can tell her cousin is a psycho and, you know, would kill her if he knew that she didn't wasn't coming willingly. Um, and I just thought that was really thought out um, as a plot. Um, Because this book had a lot of moving pieces. We had Lord Thomas frantic because his daughter has disappeared. We have the king saying, oh, yes, my daughter, I should arrange a marriage for her. You know, and so all these different players, it all has to line up. And I really think the author did a great job of piecing it together um, so that at the end, when the the representative from the king is like, you need to marry, it's been decreed. We are giving you this daughter. And he's like, no, thank you. And he's so glad he's married to Philippa so he doesn't have to worry about it for it to all come together like that at the very end. Well, not the very end, but almost the end where he ends up married. Like he ends up marrying who the king wanted him to marry. So he's inadvertently, no one's in trouble. No, no one's going to get beheaded by the king because what happened is what he wanted to happen. And it happens to be the woman he loves. And so even though he has issues with that, I just thought that was a really wonderful plot to just all bring together like that. And it all made sense. I never was like, there are so many holes in this. Why did this happen? Because Sir Walter shows up because Lord, the her dad, Sir Thomas, knows that that's where she would go. And so it just, it all made sense. And they weren't drawn out plot pieces. They were just little blurps here and there mixed in with the other, the other plot, you know, the main plot. That is going along. So I just thought it, it was like a tapestry. I just felt it was very well woven together. Yeah, it was fun because there were little vignettes, if you will, of, of interspersed conversation between uh, the king and his, his right-hand man that was the guy that had to go around and try to coordinate who's going to marry who and whatnot. And the actually, the really funny thread that ran through that tapestry was King Edward I. Because he talks as though... He is blessed by God and life will just work out and it'll be great. And if you really look at the whole book from his perspective, it did. did. His daughter was raised. She's beautiful. She's healthy. He asked for a, a good man to marry her to. He gets a suggestion. He's like, great, let's do that. And then it turns out that she accidentally married him anyway. And so, from King Edward's perspective, he's right. I'm the golden child. Everything goes in my favor. You're welcome. <laughs> you know, like it would almost be funny if there was a brief, like, Epilogue style theme, it was him reflecting on, like, all of yes. my plans are golden. Like, it was hilarious. Like, mic drop. King exactly. words mic drop. It's like, there you go. Uh, this book had a very Shakespearean feel to me in the sense of being like a farce, like a romp. We weren't supposed to, I feel, take it super seriously. It was just supposed to be. I've got a whole bunch of characters and I'm going to throw them together in a comedy of sorts, comedy of errors in some instances, because, you know, the fact that she ends up in the wool cart and he ends up stealing that wool cart. And then, you know, it just like I said, going in with the tapestry that she wove. I I don't know. I just had that kind of feel to me and I, I really enjoyed it. So I I thought, I thought in that aspect, it was really well done. The Shakespearean element is a good point because that really does explain some of the high drama, high tragedy, high comedy, all of it, all of the above. The other thing though, related to that, maybe this explains this part is so many people died in this book. The (laughs) body count. I mean, it had to have been a dozen or more. It was Oh, that's not even counting, like, the villagers burned.
1: Oh my gosh, I forgot Sir about Losser that. Would, like,
0: burn down a village and leave no survivors. And I'm thinking, how does Dinewald even have people left? Right? Because this is horrible. Oh my gosh, can I tell you, though? Uh, I thought the one of the funniest opening lines with Dinewald is where he's talking about how his sheep in a storm just merrily walked off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. I ima- I'm literally imagining... Sheep just fall plummeting from a cliff, and I'm like, "Did that really happen? Cause that's horrifically tragic. I believe it did, and I just realized what makes that a funny, uh, parallel. Then is is King Edward is blessed, blessed, golden, golden, and poor Deanwald. If you read his early story, everything goes wrong. wrong, terrible, horrible, no good, very no bad. His own yeah. in the sense that he's trying to do right by his people. If his sheep had survived, he wouldn't have robbed right. the wool. Um, And he he was being cheated by his steward. He was being attacked by Sir Walter. So he had all these things going wrong in his life. And so in that way, it was kind of fun that Philippa was the ray of sunshine, if you will, and that she was able to come and start turning things around Mm -hmm. and get him back on a stable place. But yeah, I will say one of the negative plot points for me was the steward. So I was very happy (laughs) that he died early. I found him just dumb. Like he just seemed pointless To me, and I didn't understand why he, his rage at Dinewald. It was never explained why he hated him so much when he basically saved him. Even though he saved, like he ended up, he manipulated Dinewald to kill someone he had stolen from, but I'm like, why would that make you hate him? Like, why are you so mad at him that you're stealing from him and that you're working for Sir Walter? I don't feel like that was ever fully explained. That was one whole in the whole story for me. My impression of the steward was just that he might just be like a sociopath. Oh, he might okay. just not care about people. And he's super greedy and, and, gotcha. and narcissistic or whatever. So he's like, haha, you fool. Exactly. You're an manager. idiot. No. I manipulated you. And so now I'm going to rob you blind because you're okay. too dumb to know. And so in that regard, it was a relief when he was just oh, finally yeah. dispatched or whatever. But I had thought that we were going in a direction of... Um, a battle of wits, almost, oh, right. between Philippa and the steward, and so I kind of felt shortchanged on that. Again, he could have stuck around for another chapter or two so that Philippa could really try to, like, get one over on him. I guess yeah. I didn't feel like we got to see her ingenuity and her intelligence save the day directly right. in that regard. It was just, oh, well, he revealed himself to be a thief, snapped his neck, he's dead, you know? Right? So. Why do the villains always feel like they need to give away their whole plot before they kill someone. Well, The Incredibles tells us that it's monologuing and villains do it a lot. So, I'm okay. assuming it's a trope that we just have to endure. Sounds good. So, there were a couple things that stood out to me, so I either looked them up or I just am posing them as questions to you to like let's talk about this. The first one I had was uh did you know that raw wool stinks? Cuz I did I wouldn't have imagined it would. Um and why do you think raw wool stinks? I did not know it stinks or has any odor. I think it might be. So one of the interesting characteristics of wool is that it has a lot of naturally occurring oils from the animals in it. I know like alpaca wool and sheep wool, um, they all have similar qualities. And so I'm imagining it has something to do with just that, maybe that hormone sort of picture in the oils of the animal. But I don't know. I think you're right. According to Google, you're right. It has to do with the excretions of the sheep. So I guess some stink worse than others, depending on the quality of the wool. That was one of my favorite jokes, though, in the early book. So Philippa was all muddy when she climbed into the wool.
1: Yeah.
0: And Dienwald stole the wool. So he got free wool that he stole and he comes home and she comes out of the wagon and he's mad because she made some of the wool dirty. (laughs) And that just cracked me up. So again, I'm that's thinking... that's what he's worried about. Exactly. So again, I'm thinking, you could just wash it, right? And yeah, they do reference yeah, yeah. that. They can wash it. But I love that one of his reactions beyond who the hell are you is like, you made the wool dirty. <laughs> cracked me I up. I think that was even more funny because everyone else is exclaiming that she's a witch or she's <laughs> a monster. And he's like, who are you? And what are you doing in my wool? Like, <laughs> it just is no nonsense. He's yeah. like, it's not a witch. It's not a monster. But it's someone who's destroying my... Stolen property. Right. Yeah. And on that note, that reminded me to think about Dean Wald in a, diff- a slightly different way. I was realizing that. He must feel an immense pressure and stress. If he's been stolen from and his lands are being ravaged and he doesn't have any money, he's responsible for likely at minimum 100 people that live on his land. And so I can see some of that leading, that stress leading to what felt like a little bit of instability in his character. It could just be that he was just exhausted from years of stress and strife and struggle trying to make ends meet and keep his people alive. Yeah. To be fair that's a to good Dan Well. Yeah, that's a good point. And because he was so young. Especially to have all that on his shoulders. Yeah. And Philippa, on the contrast of that, had come from a a wealthy father who was very prosperous. And so she comments about... And she was spoiled. Yeah. She had really fine, rich clothes and whatever. And so she comments on how adjusting to having one dress doesn't even fit her properly or whatever. That becomes a luxury. And she begins to appreciate how grateful she is for what she does have. Yeah. And that was kind of a beautiful development on her side as well. Yeah. That's a good point. Okay, the next thing, because I guess these were popular in medieval times, the fool, like they call a crookie or whatever his name, Mm, they call him mm -hmm. the fool. (laughs) Like, what was the purpose of a fool? I mean, is this really the the medieval times version of TV sitcom? Because they didn't have other entertainment. And so this person's explicit purpose is just like, he sings a lot. But, like, the joke in the book is he's a horrible rhymer, so his songs don't actually rhyme. And so, is he Is he that? Is he just, like, the comedic relief? I didn't quite understand his role or his purpose. I think as a plot device in the book, he was some comic relief, and he also had a bit of that all knowing in that he had some way of hearing things. And so he could provide unusual information to Dean at okay. times, but literally in the book, the way they talk about it is that almost like St. Earth accidentally ended up with a fool because, because <laughs> right, he didn't seem wealthy enough to have a fool, an animal or something like kicked crookie when he was young and oh, it uh, hurt, hurt him. Tree branch, a tree branch. Okay. So I almost got the impression that rather than abandoning him or killing him, Dienwald was kind enough to keep him, oh, despite the fact that he's now handicapped or, or disabled in some way. And then for the plot devices and whatever, he has his purposes. But but yeah, I had a similar... Th- like, you're not a royal court. You're yes. not like a court jester who wouldn't necessarily um, be an injured person or whatever. Yeah. It was It was interesting. So it almost felt like a little bit of a plot device. They needed someone to be able to bring that element of humor and also the all knowing sort of, I heard it somewhere since. That's a good point. I think you're right too. It was to show uh, the, the compassion of Dinald because I did get that impression that he, he accepted everyone. Cause you know, he has the one man that's hideously scarred and they call yeah. him grotesquely ugly Gorkle or whatever yeah. his name was. Um, and so uh, you get this, you get this feeling that dinald has been collecting this hodgepodge of people as his community um, Taken anyone kind of thing, so that's a good point. It was probably more, um, you need a home because you would die on your own. So amuse me, <laughs> be my fool, so right. that you can hang around and to give him purpose, so that again too, then Crooky doesn't have to feel like he's taking, is it Crooky or Corky? It was Crooky because he has a crooked spine or oh, something. Oh, gotcha. So I think it was maybe too to let him save his pride and his face. Of here's something you can do. You're not just taking charity. Often. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. And it was interesting, too, because there was some form of a pecking order in that I think Dienwald was kind of like, you can all mock him to a point, but there's limits to how you're allowed to treat each other in my house type of thing. And so that was kind of fun to see, too. Yeah. Cool. Um, how about rushes? Do you know what rushes are? I thought I to look it up, but that I they see. were a plant-based thing. It reminds me of straw, but I thought rushes um, were actually a different type of plant. Um rushes are round, sedges have edges and rushes are round, and grasses are hollow up from the ground. So rushes are a particular hollow sort of thing that usually grows in like wet um, marshland marshland areas and stuff. And so my thought was they cut them, they dried them a bit, and then they laid them out on the ground because it's like straw covering type of a thing. Because I had an undergraduate degree in biology and had to take botany classes. So I think if I'm remembering correctly, that's what a rush is. Yeah, no, good job. Um. Woohoo, so my $60,000 of student <laughs> debt <laughs> paid off. They're fresh, sweet flag plants. They're incorrectly termed rushes, actually. Oh. Um, and they were periodically spread on medieval castle floors as a floor covering because it was usually packed dirt. So it was to keep the floors clean. Um, mm-hmm. However, and they're reed-like plants. Um, and they grew plentiful and they were inexpensive. You could just collect them and do it. But I was reading that a lot of wealthy people actually wove them into like what would be considered... A like, mat almost or a mat. rug or something. Yeah, yeah, instead of just... be Because if you think free thrown, it's going to get dirtier and messed up a lot faster than if you weave it in a tighter weave. But they would often... Um, Weave in or throw in flowers and like sweet scenting things to kind of like a potpourri for your that makes sense too. Because as you castle. walk on it and crush the plant more and more, you're releasing more. Um, the one last thing I looked up was quintains. Did you know what quintain I might be saying that wrong? No, I don't remember that the book. reference. Is doing a, a training with them, and so I looked it up actually within Libby. You can oh. define it. Like a weapon of some sort or something, like a train? kind of. So it's like a post that you set up as a mark in tilting with a lance. So there's a sandbag that's attached to it, and it swings around. So you have to be fast enough to avoid the sandbag, oh. and so it's like a way to fight an opponent opponent yeah. without it being an actual huh. live person. So hmm. I thought that was interesting. I learned a new word. To stick, stick that in our Scrabble bank, so yeah. when we need an unusual word with a Q, yeah, got a Quinton in our mind. Yep. All right, that's all I had for this book. Um, but I did want to wrap it up with our kind of our own ratings, like what what we thought of it. Um, so, one thing both you and I like to weigh with the book is its rereadability. How likely are you to read this book again? For my rereadability, I'm not sure I would read this specific book again. However, I enjoyed the characters and the setting enough that what I would really love to read would be kind of a spinoff sequel. I would love to read about Edmund and his adventures as the second Earl of St. Earth, oh. because I really liked him and I feel like he would have learned a lot from his parents. And so it would be kind of a fun way to tie them in. Maybe even he'd have a widowed, you know, stepmother or anything, who knows, but it might, would be a fun keep in the area, keep in the kind of the time realm, but be a little bit more about Edmund and, and the future. Uh, But I'm not sure I would read these characters again, because although I did enjoy it and it was fun, I don't think it's one that I laughed out loud enough to want to go back and do it again. So, Catherine Coulter, if you're listening, (laughs) please write a sequel about Edmund. You can send my check for royalties, too. (laughs) So I obviously, because I recommended this, I mentioned this was one of my favorites. um, So I have reread it, but I don't think it would be one that is on my yearly reread. It probably would be if it's been five to ten years. I might say, oh, yeah, that was kind of good. So it's a thumbs up in my library, but not a heart in my library. <laughs> I will add that I don't always remember plots very well long term. So five years from now, if Amy says, hey, have you heard of Earth Song? I might be like, no. Oh, interesting. I'll read this. Mental note to Amy. Keep telling Beth about books five years later. Set so a calendar reminder off. just to remind me to come back to As my April Fool's joke. Um, so that being said, would you read other books by this author? Because this is part of a series. Would you read any of the other books in the series? or? I might would read the one prior. Um, Cassia and Kralim. Um, I found them to be interesting characters. And then I think that the character Roland that appeared a little bit at the end, he probably has a book. Yes, I might read that and then it would depend. If I liked those, I might would expand farther. Otherwise, it might be like, oh, that was interesting to learn about them, but I'm kind of over it. So that's it for the Earth Song. Um, hope you enjoyed us talking about it. Um, go read it <laughs> if you haven't. Hopefully you've read it by now or it was completely spoiled because I <laughs> forgot to give the spoiler disclaimer at the beginning. And that's it. We're done. Join us for our next episode where we will be reviewing the book Sweet Disorder by Rose Lerner. Questions, comments, recommendations? Send us an email at sisterspodcast at gmail.com.